Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. It's good to see everybody here today. Uh, Good to have you with us. Um, I feel a little uh, different today, and I'll tell you, it's a good, different feeling because, uh, like Pastor Charlie said, that we have our Av Church doing a pop-up service. Couldn't plant the church this year because of the pandemic, but the plans are still going to go ahead to plant it this next year. So, working with our network council here in the Assemblies of God to do that, and so they're out there today. And <clears throat> last night, my wife and I uh, we laid hands on my son Dylan and his fiancee. Um, uh, before this morning and you know driving here today thinking about because uh, I told him last night I said <clears throat> I said mom and I were in your position uh, on March the 14th 1992 and I can remember it vividly you know planting a church and we we're going to set up and tear down at Auburndale and this was the full plant now we're going for it and and so I flash forward <clears throat> all these years and I've watched the church go through uh, many great things and buying this land and building this building and it's hard to believe that God can do things but then <clears throat> now you see where we're branching out because one of the visions that I believe God put on my heart and other people's hearts here is to <clears throat> plant churches and parent other churches that need help and so this morning I was thinking about it and I think I was telling somebody in the AV room I was telling John in the AV room that um I, I first said it this way. I go, this is the first time we've had three services going on a Sunday morning in three different locations. And then I backed up and I said, wait, that's not true. Because I, I, you know, I want to kick myself, but I forgot about the, the Zacatecas, Mexico campus that we have. We've built a church there too. And so we have four different campuses going this morning. And so you know, God has been very, very good. And we believe in our heart that we're just beginning that we want to plant more churches to reach the next generation because we believe they need God. Amen? And it's us older people, you, I, and I hate the, it's true, I'm older now. I'm not the young spry guy I was back in 1992. But it's up to us to propel them, finance them, and make sure the kingdom of God advances the way it should be advancing in the United States and beyond. Amen to that one right there? Praise the Lord. Well, today, <clears throat> I want to talk on the second part of Christmas isn't canceled. The title is The Longest Darkest Night. And I picked that title as the message progresses, you're going to see why. But my first question is, have you ever had, experienced a long, dark, uncomfortable night in your life? I think most of us have, correct? I started to recollect when I typed this out and finally typed it out three weeks ago. As you know, I like to stay three weeks up. And I thought about all the long, dark, discomfortable nights I've had in my life. And I could remember five, specifically. The first two uh, were identical, and they happened within the same year. I was about 19 or 20, and I got food poisoning from food from local businesses. Now, that never has happened again, and I didn't stop visiting those local businesses. But then I remembered the other three long, dark nights that I've experienced, the very uncomfortable nights. And they all had a correlation too. Like the first two correlated, these three correlated. And they had to do with a mountain, 
a sleeping bag, and water. Specifically, getting a sleeping bag wet. Now, if you're in the high Sierras and you're a backpacker like myself and some of you are, you know the last thing you want is your sleeping bag to get wet because it's not going to dry. And if you try to sleep in that, in that cold high Sierra, even in summertime, you're going to get into the high 30s. You're going to freeze to death. And so I remember, I'm going to take you back four years. I believe I've told this story. I can't remember if I did or not. They all run around in my head. They spin together now. But I know from experience before this ever happened four years ago what it feels like to have a wet sleeping bag and how uncomfortable that is throughout the night because it's happened to me twice. And so this was the third time. And so we're up at Big Pine Lake. And like usual, when you're a backpacker now hitting, at that time, about 35, about 60 years of age, you take an afternoon siesta. How many of you enjoy an afternoon siesta? Short one. Praise the Lord. Amen. And isn't it great not to feel guilty about that? Man, I used to feel guilty for so many years of my life growing up, taking a nap. and I don't feel guilty at all about that. So I took a siesta. And this was in September. We typically do not backpack in September because you can run into weather. And all you have is your little nylon three-man dome tent. Well, while I was asleep, the weather came. And it comes in fast, and it comes in heavy up there. And so as I slept, the downpour came, the lightning and thunder came. And when I woke up, I went outside, and I go, what happened? And they had told me, the ones that didn't take a siesta, that it was so bad the rain came over the rocks that were next to us, came down through our camp like a river. Now, it went underneath my tent, thank God, and I had my air mattress, and so I didn't get wet. That's why I didn't feel it. But that water went into a couple of other tents and got sleeping bags wet. And so I knew from my experience that... This is late afternoon now. This is nearing 6, 7 o'clock in the evening. And I knew from experience that they will never be able to sleep tonight, that they will freeze in the night. And since I am the senior pastor of New Beginnings, I better make some right decisions, right? So I told the group of people, because every year a group of people goes backpacking from our church, and uh, I've been going 41 years now. I said, we got to go now. We, we have to leave. We, we can't stay because they will freeze. So we started to pack everything up, and now begins the long, dark night of my life, this light, latest one. Get our packs on, tents in there, everything in there, clothing, air mattresses, sleeping bag. It's typically about 40 pounds on your back. And we start to walk out, and it was, we, I think it was about 9 o'clock in the evening. We have our headlamps on to be able to see the trail at night, to know when a deer crosses our path. To know when I got to go one-on-one -on -one with a bear like David did. I'm just joking. So, and we're, we're accustomed to walking with headlamps on. That's, that's not new for us. We, we do it a lot. But now you're going in the long, dark night, and it's sprinkling, and you're walking out on this trail five miles. We finally get out to the trail. Now, I got to tell you one thing that was supposed to happen, and this changed the plans for me. I was supposed to walk out the next morning. Go down to Big Pine. I didn't drive up there this particular trip because they were going to leave me and my son Nathan in Big Pine. My wife Olivia was going to drive up from Corona, pick us up for our family vacation, stinky and all, backpacking, pick us up in Big Pine and drive all the way up to 395 for vacation. 
Those plans went out the door the moment I said, we got to pack up and we got to go. So we're driving. We get in the cars, and we can't stop at our favorite traditional pizza place in Lone Pine. And uh, that was a, that's a good pizza place, right, Angel? You, your first trip this last summer. But um, so we had to keep going, and we had to get snacks. Now, if you've ever been backpacking with me, uh, on the drive home, you know that something is going to happen to me on the drive. And how many, some of you know what is that going? What's going to happen? I'm going to cramp up. I, I, I'm a cramper. Any crampers here too? I'm a cramper. In fact, last night I got up twice with cramps. That's just who I am. I just choose to do that. No, I don't choose. But I start cramping, and it is so bad. I'm not exaggerating that I cannot bend my leg or whichever it's got to go. They have to lift me up out of the vehicle and put me outside so I can walk around. This last summer when we came back in July, they had to stop, and I, I'm getting to the point where I'm thinking, well, I'm just an old man now on this trip. They had to stop like four to five times and let me get out of the vehicle because I'm cramping up and I have to walk around, and I can't get ready. I just have to keep walking. And so on this trip, sure enough, I start cramping up my long, dark night. I've walked out in the sprinkle. I'm up all night. I'm driving home. I'm cramping. And as we're going home, finally we get to um, uh, Limonite out here at the gas station across from the Regal at about 5 in the morning. We pass out whatever equipment is there so you could, they could take their stuff home. And I get home, and it's about 5.30 in the morning. My long, dark night continues. And now I have to take a shower, and I do. And I take one hour nap because I've, got, I've driven home 250 miles. Now I've got to turn around and drive 430 miles. And I've been up all night. And so just for a, a teaser, when I drove up, when I got to Victorville, 395 North, I had to pull the wheel over, the car over, and I couldn't even get out of the truck because my legs were cramping, so they had to lift me out of the truck. And I had to sit in the back of my truck, legs straight like this, sign says, old man in back seat. No, I didn't say that. But it was bad. But go back to where I woke up, and I loaded up the, the truck, and we're going to drive. But finally, finally, after that long night, there was light. It was not night anymore, and my long, dark night was over. And I notice that the older I get, the long, dark nights, they take a little more toll on my body. But finally, the light came. And some of us know exactly what it feels like in real-life situations. That's just an experience that lasts. Some of you have been through long, dark seasons of night, have you not? And it's great to finally see the light. Now, this message, it is very dear to my heart in this Christmas isn't canceled because if you're a born-again believer, a follower of Christ, I think you can remember, I know I can, I can remember what it was to walk in darkness. I can remember what it was to, to think a certain way and to finally find out later I wasn't thinking right. I know what it was like to put my faith in Christ and in one moment of time, Everything changed. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because see, the New Testament, Paul writes that the God of this world and the God of this world is Satan. You may not believe there's a devil. Jesus says there's a devil. And there are demons. But the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, and I was blind. I, did, I couldn't see the truth. But when the Spirit of God came into my life, the light came into my life, and the darkness was gone. The long, dark, 23-year night of darkness was over. And uh, it's been a glorious, um, gosh, 41-year ride now of living for Christ. And I want to talk about this. See, Isaiah said this in Isaiah 9-2. Would you read it with me? It says, 
the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Isaiah's prophesying. Do you know how many years before Jesus would come to earth? He writes, he says this, 700. He writes 700 years before Jesus comes to this planet that those who walk in darkness, you're going to see a great light. And on August 12, 1979, at about 9 in the evening, David Wilkerson was the preacher. I saw that light. And I got down on my knee and I raised my right hand. And nothing has ever been the same. Never thought I'd be a preacher. It's the last thing I ever wanted to be. Didn't even want to be a Christian. Thought my family was weird because they're Christians. And so I was the antithesis of Christianity. But then when God opened my eyes, it was like a whole new world. The Jim who walked in darkness could see a marvelous light. I'm going to talk about this today because it's something that's it's so, so important. We need to reflect back on where we come from and what God has done. And in the Christmas season, it's probably the best to think like that. And maybe I'm just getting older and I get more nostalgic. My gosh, I was watching Elf last night where there was no Christmas spirit, remember, at the end? And I start crying. I go, what is, what is this coming out of my eyes, you know? And I can't control myself. My wife sits next to me. I go, babe, I, I just can't. I'm all emotional over this thing, and I've never had that happen before. And she gets, oh, she kisses me on the cheek. And I'm like, no, I'm a guy, okay? I, but it, I, I don't know if I just get more emotional. I, I don't know what it is. But maybe I just appreciate things more as you get older. You know, you know what I'm talking about. So let's pause that, hit our key verse, and then we'll get into what I'm talking about. Our key verse is this. It says, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Notice all the will be's. And that's why we have the tagline in this series, God's will is not a maybe. And aren't you glad? That when God says it, it's going to happen. That also by Isaiah was written 700 years before the event. When God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So what I'm going to do today is this. I'm going to read a set of verses from the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to give you two points. And I'm going to give you two bullets in the second point. Then I have a surprise for you at the very end. It's going to be a really good surprise. And then we're going to drive this baby home. So... <clears throat> I'm going to begin with a question, then read the text. And the question is, when was Jesus born? When did he begin? Because point one is going to be theological. And you say, theological? Yes, the study of God. Because unless you have a strong theology, listen, you, that's your skeletal system of your body. Can you imagine having no skeletal system in your body? What would that be like? You'd be a lump of living, breathing, sweating flesh. That's all you'd be. So you need your skeletal system. You need your foundations. Otherwise, you're tossed everywhere to and fro. So you need absolute truth in you. That will be point one. Point two is practical application. So in Matthew chapter one, verse 18 to 25, it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, in those days, if you get in an engagement, betrothal, it's considered marriage already, but you don't consummate the marriage until the time. But you're considered married. So think about Joseph and his position. 
And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her plan to send her away secretly. So he wants, he says, okay, I'm not going to marry you anymore, but I'm not going to embarrass you. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Whoa. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Behold, here's the prophecy from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. We're going to talk about God with us in our Christmas Eve service. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he or she, what does it say? And he called his name Jesus. Do you know why that's very important? Because in those Jewish circles, um, parenting and child, they gain, uh, it, it's not biological, it's legal. So though he's not his biological son, Jesus is not Joseph's biological son. It's his legal son because once you name them, now it's legal. And how many know how important that would be to a young boy growing up when all the scuttlebutt is, we know what your mom did. Your mom had sex before marriage. We know. In fact, later on in Jesus' adult life, you know what they would tell them the Pharisees did? They said, we were not born of fornication. In other words, we're not illegitimate. We know all about you and your mama. But Joseph gives Jesus the name, which gives him legality, which makes him the parent, which gives Jesus identity as a child growing up. All children need secure identity. Any amens on that? Every child. That's the make or break thing of their life. And that's the one thing I trust fully that will propel them to success or sabotage in life. So the questions, when did Jesus begin? How, how was he born? We're going to look at these things first theologically. The first thing is, number one, Jesus always was. Jesus always was. Now, <clears throat> he doesn't take the name of Jesus until he comes in the flesh. That's not his name until he comes in the flesh. Now, I'm going to show you some things biblically, theologically, of proving Jesus always was from the Bible. Um, and, uh, and, and then, um, it's not comprehensive, but it'll give you a good foundation. In Colossians chapter 1, Colossians 1 and verse 15, we find this. Paul writing, Paul is highly intellectual, highly educated, this guy's got his stuff down. Then he becomes a Christian because remember he hated him, murdered him, then became one when he had an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. And he's a highly trained intellectual, guys. Verse 15 says, he writes about Jesus. It says, he is the image of the invisible God. Now that's a big one right there because the image is the exact representation of the invisible God. Jesus one day told one of the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the, the Father. In other words, Jesus came to show people what God was like. So, the image of the invisible God. Then he calls Jesus the firstborn of all creation. There may be someone come to your door one day. Religious cult members. 
And they're going to try to trick you. And they're going to try to say something to you, especially around Christmas time. <clears throat> and they're going to show you verses like this to try to disprove the deity of Jesus Christ. And they're going to say, Jesus was born. Look at that. He had a birth. And they're going to try to nail you and take you all kinds of directions. But let me tell you what this means. It says he's the firstborn of all creation. Now these words, and the problem is they don't read true Greek scholars. I read the Greek scholars. I don't read Greek, but I can read the Greek scholars, what they say about it. When it says firstborn, it's not, not talking about a time in history or a place in time. It's not talking about That's not what the Greek word means. What it means is rank, status, position. So when Paul writes this word here, he is saying that Jesus is the highest rank of all creation. There is none higher than him in all the universe. And that's what Paul is writing. But notice, he takes it further in verse 16. He says, For by him all things were created, all things, guys, were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, <clears throat> bless you. When it says that all things were created through him and by him and for him, he is the creator. That's what he's saying. Which means Jesus is God. He's the highest rank. He's the creator. He's all those things. Now, for some of you who like to share your faith and reason with people, if someone ever asks you, and never argue, just reason. That's what the idea of apologetics and defending your faith is. You reason with people. If someone ever says to you <clears throat> that you believe uh, God created all things, that you know God is, yes, and they say, then who created, they'll ask you, then who created God? Now, the one thing you need to say to that every time is this. I don't believe in created gods. We call those idols. I believe in the creator who created all things. And I told you multiple times now, I will tell you multiple times in the future, that think about this. <clears throat> How could this universe of which they say created us, a universe that has no mind, is unguided by a mind, and through random processes that created you, how can a mindless universe create a mind in you? That's an impossibility. And then if you want to take it a step further, for those you want to get a little more gutsy, and they start laying out all their thoughts, then you tell them, listen, you believe that a mindless, unguided universe created your brain? Oh yeah, absolutely. Then you say, then how can we even trust or you trust any of your thought processes? Since something that doesn't have a mind created your mind, how can we even trust what you think? Logic, right? It doesn't make any sense. Now, <clears throat> let's get back to this. Jesus is the creator, Paul says. Now think about this, guys. Jesus, not in your notes, but Jesus, John writes, in John 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So you ask yourself the question, who is this word that was with God and is God? If you jump 14 verses in John 1, John tells you. 
It says, he writes, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Well, who became flesh and walked among us? Jesus did. So now you see that Jesus is the word. And a few verses after verse 1, he says, All things were created by him, by this word, by Jesus. Now think about that. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1 in the creation record, how did God create all things out of nothing? What did he do? He spoke. And God said, and God said, and God said. That makes perfect sense when John writes that Jesus in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So if Jesus is that Word, which He is, and the Creator, which He is, it makes sense that He spoke all things because He is the Word of God. Any amens? So now you begin to piece together more and more about this Creator, Jesus. But it gets even better. I'm going to give you one more thing on this before I move on to the practical part of today. In John chapter 8, New Testament Gospel John, Jesus is in a debate, and we're going to get 56 to 59. Jesus is in a big, what's a, it's a brouhaha debate with the Pharisees. And they always want to fight with him because, you know, he, they don't like him. And he, he goes against what they say because he's a revolutionary. He's bringing what God is really like versus what they think God is like. And so now they come to this moment in time where they bring up Abraham. Abraham lived 1,900 years before this moment or thereabouts. Now watch, the term, watch what they say. In verse 56, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Now watch this. And he saw it and was glad. What did Jesus just say? What did he just say? He's saying that Abraham and I knew each other. That he saw my day. He knows me. Now, do you think that blew their mind? Just a little bit, huh? Now watch verse 57. So the Jews said to him, now this is their rebuttal because they're in a big brouhaha this whole chapter. You're not even 50 years of age. You're not 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham? Because Jesus isn't 50. They're saying, how could you possibly have seen him? He lived, he lived 1,900 years ago. You're not even 50. So they're using logic, right? Watch what Jesus says. Because here's the big one. One of the big ones. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. What? Before Abraham was ever born, I am. Don't gloss over that. Every time you see Jesus say, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, that's big. Let me show you how big it is, because in verse 59, watch how they react to him when he says, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw them at him. They want to kill him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. What's the big deal when he says, before Abraham was born, I am? He has declared something to them that they know very well. They understand what he just said, so much so they want to kill him. They pick up stones like, we're going to kill you now for what you just said. <clears throat> Do you remember that day, or I should say when you read it, where Moses is out in the desert one night and he sees the bush burning? Remember that story? 
Now Moses has seen many fires start by lightning, but something's different about this fire. This bush is burning, but it's not consumed. Moses goes up the mountain. He says, I must turn aside and see this marvelous sight while the bush is not burning. He gets up there, and it's God speaking from the burning bush. And he says, you're going to go back to Egypt. Does Moses want to go back to Egypt? No. At 40 years of age, was he eager to deliver Egypt? Say yes. At 80 years of age, is he eager to deliver them from Egypt? No. Isn't it funny, the older we get, the more complacent we get. We shouldn't be that way. And then Moses says, okay, but when I get there, if they ask me, who is it that sent me? It's a good question, right? And what does God say? He says, you tell them, I am that I am has sent you. Whoa. What's the I am? Now, Jesus quoted in the New Testament, he's the I am. What? Now, Jesus is saying, I'm the guy from the burning bush. That's why they're so upset. Who's the I am? It's called, they call it the Tetragrammaton. It's the YHWH. It's the letters of Yahweh, God. The eternally existent one. He doesn't need anyone else for his existence. He always was. He says, you tell him, I sent you, the eternally existent one. I have no beginning. I have no end. So when Jesus says that to the Pharisees, before Abraham was born, that's how I could be back with Abraham 1900 years ago before he was born, I am. He just told them, I'm the eternal existent one. And that just blows their mind. So the question is, when did Jesus begin? He never did. He always was. Amen? So that's a very short uh, teaching on the deity and the eternal existence of Jesus, but it'll give you a little bit of ammunition if you took notes. Point two is the practical point. <clears throat> The second thing is, we're going to talk about when was he born or where was he born. Jesus seeks to be born in our hearts. Now, so I'm sitting home, uh, this is about three or four weeks ago, Saturday night, I think, Friday night, one of the two, and I get a message on Messenger from somebody in church, one of the young gals that sings in the band. Her name's Juliet, and, uh, she's, and I can just hear her voice saying it. Pastor Jim, somebody told me Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. Okay, we got a live one now. She'd never heard this before. Okay. So I messenger back, and I said, no, he wasn't. We don't really know exactly when he was born. Now, before you all go home and take down your lights and burn down your nativity scenes and say this tree wrong time of year, it's okay. And if they... If anybody ever asks you, if you know it's not his date of birth, then why do you celebrate it on that day? Just say, because we choose to celebrate it that day. Just leave it at that. That's why there's no debates. That you already know the answer, but you just choose this day because everybody else does. Because nobody knows the exact date. No one does. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to give you timelines to give you when he was born, thereabouts. So bullet point number one is Jesus was probably born around late September. Notice I said probably and around, because I'm not going to be specific on it, but I'm going to give you timelines to show you why that is highly probable. <clears throat> the first thing is, the night he's born, who appears to the shepherds? Angels do, do they not? So we know that shepherds are out on the field by night, correct? The thing about that is, shepherds, would typically be out in the field from spring to around mid-October. 
They wouldn't be out there in December. It's just too cold. They're not going to do that. Now, that's one, but that's not your big, strong foundation for when he was born. Let me give you the big one. Do you remember when, in the story, where Mary comes, she's just conceived the child, just conceived by the Holy Spirit. I mean, she's days now in, uh, from past her moment of conception. So it's really earlier in her uh, pregnancy. She goes to visit Elizabeth and Zacharias. Remember that? And Elizabeth, how many months along is she? She's six months, that's right. So now we know that John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus in a physical sense. Huh, okay. Now, let's take that idea. We know that Zacharias was the minister of the temple. We know from 1 Chronicles 24 that he's of the order of Abijah. And we know that Abijah's order would minister somewhere from mid-June, I'm sorry, mid-May to mid-June. So in that meeting with, with the angel, and that the angel says, you're Mary, Elizabeth's going to conceive, you're going to have a child. So he comes out of there in mid-May, mid-June, let's say mid-June, and now Elizabeth gets pregnant from Zacharias in mid-June. You flash forward six months, add six months to mid-June, and what time of the year do you have? What? You have December. So now we put this all together, and you realize that Jesus wasn't born in late December. He was, he was conceived in late December. Oh, but that get, makes it even more interesting. Because the next thing I want to tell you notes is this. Jesus was conceived near the longest, darkest night of the year. Now we come back to the longest, darkest night. Okay. <clears throat> what does that mean? How does that affect us? The longest, darkest night of the year. How does that affect the story? Today's date is December 13th, is it not? What is December 21st? It's the first day of what? Winter. It's called the winter solstice. Solstice means sun stands still. That particular day has the shortest amount of sunlight in it, but the longest amount of darkness in it. Huh. So Jesus <clears throat> was conceived conceived, not born, conceived at a time of the year and by the way, side note uh, I think I said the wrong two last time just on a side note, Jupiter and Saturn on the 21st or 23rd are going to align so close that you're going to see them together first time since 1226 AD they'll almost look like one they'll be so bright, and some people call it the Christmas star though it's two planets, they just call it that but it's going to be an interesting night and so Jesus, um, now, we find that he was conceived on the longest, darkest night of the year. That's when God decides for the conception of Jesus. Why? Why? Why is that time of year so relevant, so important? Let me tell you why. Who is the power at the time of Jesus' conception and birth? The Romans. The Romans have a holiday, a festival, a week-long festival beginning December 17th. It's called the festival of Saturnalia. They worship the god Saturn. They're one of their false gods. And during that time, it's a time, a lot of festivity, where uh, masters and slaves would switch clothing, where uh, rich people would pay the rent for poor people. Some people would walk around from house to house naked, singing songs. 
But the big deal about that time was this, the bad part of it, I should say. For seven days on these long, dark nights, Saturnalia, there would be unbridled sin, debauchery. You name the sin, they're doing it. They don't feel bad about it. And so it's during this time, the longest, darkest night of the year, when sin is unbridled and people are going crazy in their sin, God decides that who would be conceived on a night like that? The Messiah, Jesus Christ. I like that. I like that because going back to what Isaiah said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. It just makes sense that Jesus would be conceived on one of the longest, darkest nights of the year and to be born nine months later in late September. Now, I want to put flesh to this understanding because if we're born again, we know what that's like. But I asked a young man in our church if he would give, put flesh to this idea that in the darkness of a person's life, Jesus, the Son of God, the light of the world would be born, though he is born in our hearts. So, watch the screens, please. Hi, my name is Angel Rodriguez. I've been attending New Beginnings for three years, and this is my testimony. I grew up in a home with two older siblings, a younger sister, and both parents. My parents were both hard workers, my mom was stern but loving, and my dad was abusive, both physically and mentally. As I went into junior high, their marriage was falling apart, and my dad began this pattern of coming and going. He would leave for long periods, one stretch lasted up to a year. My mom was pretty much on her own, managing the household, working two jobs, and maintaining the four of us. Despite her efforts, I began to drift into an unfavorable direction. High school came along, and I started getting into fights, hanging out with the wrong crowd, and started running with the gang. After high school, it only got worse. I started drinking more often, doing drugs, and got deeper and deeper into gang life. At 19, I got a DUI, and you would have thought it would have slowed me down. But it didn't. I kept going. The drinking got heavier, and I had a couple more run-ins with the law, but it didn't seem to faze me. My walls were thick and my walls were high. I was angry. I was detached, just looking for the next thrill, the next binge, the next thing to keep piling on top of my brokenness. Nothing or no one was going to stop me, not even my pleading family. My mom's tears were not enough, nor my sister's begging. I had everything this world could offer. I had money, cars, drugs, nice things, yet I was still angry and unsatisfied. I still had a void that I was trying to fill and these things that are supposed to make you happy were not. In 2014, I went on a two-day drinking binge that just sent me over the top. I decided to take a break for a couple months, but those couple months passed and the thought of my last binge kept the break going. I was still involved in gang life, still fighting, still doing the same nonsense until 2016. I got a new job where my supervisor was a youth pastor. Something started tugging at my heart. I wondered, why was I still angry? and withdrawn, yet I had everything I wanted. I started asking my supervisor questions about his life. Him being a Christian does not drink and always seem joyful. I wanted to know why. He told me the gospel and I was intrigued. About a week or two later, I was invited to service and I went. 
I started going to service sporadically, but I was still messing around. I still had not drank, but I was in a weird place. I was less and less interested in what the streets had to offer, but I could not call myself a Christian. As I continued to attend service, I felt the pastor was talking directly to me. There was one specific sermon he gave about finding your identity in Christ. I surrendered my life to Christ that day. I got baptized and I started serving. I made a friend who invited me over to PJ's house for Bible study. That was in 2017. I began sharing my faith with my family and they noticed the change that was happening in me. This moved them to start attending service and we would all go as a family. My problems were not solved by any means, but I felt peace. I had a sense of knowing myself, a sense of certainty. But when the walls came down, I also had to face the issues that were buried beneath for so long. My anger issues, my trust issues, my fear of abandonment, and the years of abuse from my dad. Because even though I am saved, I still struggle with these things. The thing I struggle with most is my anger. Sometimes it is overwhelming, consuming, and what feels like a never-ending battle. When it becomes too much, or when it's barely there, I pray. I ask God to help me to take this burden away from me, to give me peace. And I have to ask Him every single day. Opening it up to friends from church has helped me tremendously. Hearing how they deal with their anger and their struggles, I can relate and work through my own issues. Me and my wife started attending New Beginnings, where we began counseling for a year and a half with PJ. We were able to recognize our issues and work through them biblically. Every day I must die to myself, I pick up my cross and I follow Christ. Today marks six years of sobriety. Now I walk with certainty that I am saved through Christ and I have any, if I have any obstacles, I know he is with me and he will be with me until I see his face. Thank you. All praise and glory goes to God our Father. We all, who are followers of Christ, we all have those testimonies. And if you notice that it didn't be, make us perfect, we still struggle with things as we continue to grow. But we walk in light now. And I, an angel sitting right there. I, I watched him. I watched him grow. And that's what Jesus Christ came. He came at the longest, darkest time. The light of the world. Last thought, I want you to think about this. With the testimony and everything we've said. In Israel, you know, we know Jesus was born in a manger. He was born in a shepherd's cave. And there's a place where there are many shepherd's caves there in Bethlehem. But think about that experience. Mary and Joseph find a cave, a shepherd's cave. They go in there because there's no place for them to stay. And that cave is dark. It is cold. And it stinks from all the sheep that have been put in there. And here comes the light of the world. Born in that cold, dark, stinky environment. That's the same thing he did with us. I can remember when my heart was so cold so dark so stinky and you look back and you think why would Jesus ever want to be born in that place but he wants to be born in our hearts does he not that's what he did in your life and mine and as you sit here if you're not a follower of Christ 
I pray today you become one. If you're watching today live right now, or you're going to watch us later on or during the week, or maybe months go by till you say, I'm going to watch this one. And maybe you've never given your life to Christ. You've never become a follower of Him. The people that walk in darkness will see a great light. Did you hear what Angel said in that testimony? Today, December 13th. This is not a coincidence. This is the Spirit of God, timing-wise. He hasn't had a drop of alcohol six years today. I mean, that's a big deal. I didn't plan that date. He's the one who told me when I approached him. But God can change lives when the Spirit comes to live in you and brings light. And if you've never placed your faith in Christ, ever, there's nothing that you could have done. There's no ugly things where you say, well, I don't think Jesus would want to be born in me. Yeah, he does. He came on the longest, darkest, most sin-filled night conceived of the year. He was born in a cold, dark, stinky cave. And you think about that, those are all pictures of, of our lives, that he'd like to be born in our life. See, the enemy's been canceling Christmas in you for a long time, telling you not to believe. Don't, don't believe in Jesus, but today we're going to uncancel. So whether you're here and you'd like to put your faith in Christ for the first time, or maybe you're watching, I hope you do. Or maybe a backslid. Maybe you walked away from Christ. It's time to come back. So I'm going to give you an opportunity also. So what I want you to do here, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. And at home, same thing. I'm going to say a prayer. I want everyone here to say it. I want everyone watching to say it. And if you're watching and you're the person that wants to put your faith in Christ for the first time or rededicate your life, then I want you to say this out loud with us. And if you're at home and it's awkward with people around you, then just whisper it or say it in your head. But afterwards, tell someone you prayed that prayer and you became a follower. So here we go, everyone. Repeat after me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. Come and be born in me. Today I choose to follow you. My entire life, I give you my life. I give you everything about me. Holy Spirit, come and be born in me and change me the way you would want me changed. Thank you for saving me. Now let me pray. God, I, I just pray for everybody who said that prayer. Whether first time or in rededication. I pray you follow up because Jesus told the disciples, follow me. So there's got to be a follow up. You've got to follow him. The Christians you know during this time of pandemic, hard to get connected, but you know some, you're around some. Tell them you prayed the prayer. Have them point you in the right directions. Have them get you started right. God, I thank you, Jesus, for this day. I thank you, Lord God, 
for your goodness. And thank you that the people that walk in darkness will see a great light, for the light of the world has come into our world. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, Amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.